Welcome to Scenario D, the podcast that takes you behind the magic by giving you the facts and a whole lot of feels. I'm Lish. And I'm Curbs. And this week we're taking a closer look at the film that started it all, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So without further ado, and with a smile and a song, let's talk about how one girl, seven little men, and an evil queen with some jealousy issues put Disney on the map. Okay, so I don't know about you, Lish, but when we first talked about doing Snow White as the first episode of this podcast, I was Mm -hmm. a little bit disappointed only because every time we've done a rundown of princess films, she's towards the bottom. We just- Always. Always. Like both as a character and the film. Like we've just never loved it the way we loved some of the other ones. So I was a little bit apprehensive to watch it again because I just thought that it was going to be- Well, disappointment. if I'm being honest, it's not a movie that I've really watched in my Mm. adult life. Like, I definitely watched it as a kid and was absolutely terrified at this, like, whole movie. Just, like, scared the pants off of me. So it's not one that I've, like, been, like, happy to revisit. I've watched it here and there. But to Mm -hmm. actually sit down, undistracted, watch the whole thing, I was actually more delighted than I expected. More delighted. Okay, tell me more about that. I, like, there were parts of it that I'm like, I don't remember this at all. Like, I don't think I've seen this. Um, Like what? uh, So I actually liked the beginning, like the her and like the prince interaction a lot more than I expected. Really? That song. Yeah. I actually thought that it was kind of cute. Like the... I, I wanted more of that actually in the movie. That's like one of my main complaints. It's like, I would would have liked to see them interact more. That is probably the biggest shocker you could have given me. Like no one can see my yeah. face. You saw my face. <laughs> I I would never have expected that what you wanted more from this film is the like soft gooey, like, oh, like prince and princess because it's such a stereotype. And for some reason, based on who I know your other favorite princesses are it just does not fit the mold for me so like what about this movie made you want more of that it's because it it's at the beginning and it's cute and then it just is like at the end and it doesn't flow so I almost want more of the two of them or not at all Mm, if that makes sense so like no fair if he's gonna be the one that's like kissing her at the end and that's the thing and we're you know we're stuck with that I guess as an ending then I would have liked something else either like from him that he was like looking for her or like right more of you know a secondary <laughs> interaction in the middle I yeah. don't know yeah and that's I agree with that 100% and I think maybe some of that comes from us now having remakes like the Cinderella live action and even mm-hmm. Maleficent that give us more of a well-rounded male character and I actually I felt similarly about the prince watching it again now after like I think the last time I watched it would have been at least like six years ago Mm -hmm. I think that's like whenever I got the special edition dvd that's how long ago this was dvds not a blu-ray a dvd (laughs) I think that's the last time I watched it but yeah there's there's such a dramatic difference between this love story and then the love stories in modern Disney films that I was really surprised because they really didn't actually give it that much attention, like you were saying. And he literally appears and disappears the same way. Did you notice that? Like he's singing on a horse and never actually speaks a word. It's all just singing. And so he's almost more like a prop, which was really interesting and adds to the creepy factor that people now associate with this Mm -hmm. movie. Like it really, it really upped that for me. Not that I'm going to get all uppity about, you know, how creepy the original story is because it is, it's a like fairy tale. I think it was a Grimm's one, right? It was Grimm's. Grimm's, Grimm's. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously it's terrifying. Like that's Mm -hmm. no one's surprised by that. Um, 
But you know what surprised me rewatching it this time? Because like you, I was afraid of it as a kid. We didn't own it. And I remember the only time I ever watched it was at my cousin's house. And they had these stairs that kind of, you could like peek through the stairs to see their TV in the basement. And yeah. I would like sit on the stairs and like peek through. And as soon as the witch came on, I was out of there. Like I was like, nope, we're gone. gone. Like I needed a quick <laughs> escape. So I would watch it from the stairs. But what I noticed this time actually is that the movie really plays out more like a series of unique vignettes. Like I feel like yes. the songs are used to almost make like, and here's a short and here's an animated short and here's one, which I think is why the Seven Dwarfs Mind Train ride is so effective because they literally just took that section of the film with the mines and them dancing with Snow White and just turned it into a ride because it was already a fully realized kind of like little experience. But I've had forgotten how like clearly this was the first full length feature film Disney made because the storytelling and the cohesiveness of that storytelling just wasn't there yet. And I had completely no. forgotten about that. Yeah, it's it's definitely in pieces almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're lovely pieces and they're very yes. like beautifully done. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. So mm-hmm. tell me then what of those vignettes is your favorite? Oh, that sequence? is a great question. I think that I I actually, you know what? Not I think, I know. I love the with a smile and a song sequence. I really do. I love, I love her sitting there in the woods so demurely. What do you do when things go wrong? Like we had this Disney VHS as a kid, like when I was a kid, that was like all these songs. So it was just Mm -hmm. a sing-along video. And that was one of the few um, exposures, exposures. Yeah, that's a word, right? Whatever, it doesn't matter. That's one of the few ways I was exposed to Snow White as a kid, since, like I said, we didn't own it. And I just remember always finding it calming. Like there was something Mm -hmm. about, I had no context into what had happened before that scene or after that scene in the movie, because I had never seen it. Um, But I just liked how she was friends with all the animals and like rewatching it like recently, I felt the same way. I was just like, oh, this is familiar and this is comfortable. And I mean, if I had to pick a different one though, I would pick anything with the witch because she's hilarious. She is so funny. There's a skeleton reaching for a bucket of water and she kicks it out of the way just just for giggles, basically. That maniacal cackle, so good. But it's yeah. not quite a vignette the way that Yes. Yeah, you she's were just implied. kind of like thrown in there a little bit. They're like little yes. pieces with like mm-hmm. Snow White and the animals, Snow White and the dwarves or the dwarves. And then she's just yes. like randomly her and like the prince are just yes. kind of it's what it's what yeah. I call the Hobbit problem. Like when you're watching yeah. the two towers and it's just these like three yes. separate films, and it's like, oh, by the way, you forgot that this character existed. Let's just throw them back in there. So in this yeah. instance, I would say that the evil queen is like Frodo and Sam, you know, and then the prince is Merry and Pippin. You just completely forget that they exist. What you really care about is Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, which would be the dwarves and Snow White. Like you really like what? Obviously, yeah. We don't need we don't need the other bits to get the gist of where we're going. Although I, I mean, in Snow White's case, you kind of need the Evil Queen for it to go anywhere. But yeah, I do. Do they just they don't totally fit sometimes mm-hmm. in a yeah. in a kind of a weird way. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. So let's turn the question around. Which is your favorite? Um, I actually really enjoyed the um, whistle while you work. Another classic uh, yes. sequence there. That was like a surprising little little thing. Mm-hmm. That I it was what it was something that caught me off guard. It's like I don't think I've seen this before, and yeah, or you know I have and I wasn't paying attention. But it's mm-hmm. really it's funny. It's cute. I just yeah, I enjoyed it and. Mm-hmm. I kind of like in a way that she kind of came in there and she's like, I want to stay here. Maybe if I clean. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she's yeah. more assertive than we thought. Cause she's yeah, coming exactly. in and going, I'm going to live here. This is yeah. fine. Like, I mean, call it Royal entitlement, call it naivete. Either way, I'm all here for it. Like give yeah. Snow White three big snaps from me. Yes. Yeah. So I, what I would you that. give? Yeah. What would you give the film out of 10 rewatching it now? It's hard. It's still not anywhere near my favorite or even like mm-hmm. middle of the pack for me. Um, mm-hmm. But there is definitely an appreciation for it in terms of, you know, what it signified and the fact that it was the first. I think yes. it's probably somewhere around a six out of 10 for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I got a little bored and started doing something else. So I'm going to give it a five. And the yeah. five really comes from 
like you said, the appreciation for what it represents mm -hmm. yeah. and the doors it opened for a company that I now love so dearly, but I honestly was quite bored. But what is not boring, Lish, is how this film even came to be made. Like you and I have both been interested in the history of Disney and their films and the company for a very, very long time, but we've never mm -hmm. really actually looked into the roots of like where each of these films came from. It's always just for us been a conversation of, do we like it or not? And yeah. that's kind of it. Yeah. So when you proposed the idea of us digging into it more, I was all for it, obviously. And I think that what we have learned and what we are going to share today could push my rating from a five to a six. Like I could meet you at oh, six. You, you, could, on, you could meet me there. Well, because when you take into consideration everything that was going on at the company in the world of animation with like, you know, Disney himself at the time, it just kind of gives it a richer history. And the, the different things that they literally invented mm -hmm. to make this movie, you know, just like mm -hmm. what everyone coming together to get this done. So yeah. at this time, they had really only done shorts or segments kind of inside of features. So everything mm -hmm. had been uh, on a much smaller scale. Um, they were starting to make profit. Um, it was the company that was kind of turning around Walt Disney at the time, starting to grow, starting to find their groove. Um, but Walt being Walt kind of felt like they were getting in a little bit of a rut and they were losing right. a little bit of their creative energy. So he's kind right. of thinking, what's the next thing that we're going to tackle? What's, you know, the next challenge that we can uh, go. So he kind of decided that he wanted to do features at that point. Mm -hmm. Which isn't a surprise, like based on if, if you've read any biographies of Walt, like he was always one who's like, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it. And I mean, that was very obvious in the planning for the film, like the feature length version of Snow White as well. For because, sure. I mean, it was the first movie that he saw like in theaters, the first movie he ever saw was a silent version of Snow White. So that obviously made a huge impact on him. And there was an interesting culture at Disney's studios at this time as well, where basically um, animators and staff members were rewarded for coming up with different ideas and jokes that would be used even like in an animated short or the silly symphonies that they're working on. And this kind of created an idea for Walt of getting his animators more involved in fleshing out a full length feature film. So he mm -hmm. actually offered animators $5 for any idea that they ended up using, you know, within the final film and $100 for any fully realized scene or segment of the film um, that ended up being used. And this created a really interesting, almost competitiveness within For the sure. studio that really mirrors, like you said, like kind of where Walt wanted to go with this, which was bigger, better than anyone who had come before. And as a visionary, I mean, not that you and I are necessarily visionaries. I feel like sometimes we are, but other people our might moments. not agree. <laughs> we have our moments of being yeah. visionaries, but you know, anytime you come up with a great idea, and share it with other people in your space, they usually look at you like you're insane because it's something that either they didn't think was possible or they have no interest in. And this happened with Walt too, with Snow White. Yeah. A lot of people started referring to it as Disney's folly, AKA like what his downfall would be because mm -hmm. they just didn't think it was possible to make animation into a feature length film that people would actually want to go and see, which of course now, seems wild because how many times have you and I paid money to see an to animated go. film? Yeah, it's crazy. It, yeah. It's crazy Some of them that I've that's seen where multiple they started. Times. <laughs> but you, you yeah. also have to understand that what they were making for animation at that point was very gag based. It's very like mm -hmm. for laughs or, or for music. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, it's like nobody wants to watch that for an hour and a For half. An hour this and is half. the first time that they explored, you know, really intertwining a story and really giving dimension to characters mm -hmm. to keep people interested. And actually, you know, the the storybook intro of Snow White was, I think, one of the first indications to me as an audience member that this was now quote unquote serious animation. Because mm -hmm. like you notice how it's yeah. so well realized, like it's very 
um, like photorealistic. The um, calligraphy is really detailed. Everything's hand lettered. Like it looks way more elegant than the silly symphonies they were making before, which really set the tone for a new type Absolutely. of- Absolutely, yeah. And I think that was, I mean, clearly it was a trope he used in Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it really helped set the stage that for audience members that this was a completely unique Disney experience. It was not, it was not just another silly symphony or merry melody. It was completely different. Um, and I think, I mean, if I was an audience member at that time, I would have been excited to see where oh, that was absolutely, going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it had all the buzz going in people, you know, were giving them a hard time and were kind of expecting it to fail, like you said, but when it mm-hmm. opened, like, everyone showed up, you know, like Hollywood showed up for that. Like the people showed Mm. up because they wanted, they were intrigued enough to want to see. Yes. And I think too, like we see this today in entertainment as well. Um, So why would it be any different, you know, in the thirties, but people are always excited to be the first to see the new thing. So when 3D movies started becoming Mm -hmm. a big deal, you know, everyone wanted to go and see a 3D movie because it was new and exciting. Um, You know, entertainment systems like Broadway too, right? Like everyone who saw Hamilton was like, this is the best thing ever. Cause it's like a completely new way of telling a story through music and acting and yeah. whatever. So everyone went and saw that. Like I, so it doesn't surprise me that something on this scale, and let's be real, Walt would have pulled out all the stops to promote this film. Like he, like he, oh, for sure. he would have been, oh, he would have been talking it up for like years beforehand. Like as soon as he had the idea, he would have been like, I'm the best thing ever. Like this is And I mean, make it, it. it took them like five years from idea to actually showing it. So he had mm-hmm. time. He had time he to had tell t- everybody. <laughs> <laughs> he had time to write letters to all of yeah. his like great aunts and his yeah. second cousins <laughs> and, you know, everyone he's ever met. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the hype around this was huge. And a lot of that came from just the fact that their silly symphonies were doing so well with people. Yeah. And actually this was originally, Snow White was originally referred to within the company as the quote unquote feature symphony. Um, because, you know, they knew they wanted to include music. They knew it was going to be animated. And that was, as you said, very much the format for these silly symphonies. And there was one that came out called Who Killed Cock Robin? which is said to be the influence that Walt used to go ahead with Snow White. It was um, a very different one for them where it had a cartoon of like caricature of Mae West. Do you know who Mae West is? I don't. Okay. Like just real quick. I just, I want to make sure I don't get this wrong because I know who she is from Drag Race kind of, but also don't. Okay. She was an American actress, singer, playwright, screenwriter, comedian, and sex symbol whose entertainment career spans seven decades. So she was a big deal at the time and this cartoon had a caricature of her that was extremely successful people loved it people immediately knew who she was supposed to be who she was modeled after they immediately then understood who the character was and this gave walt the confidence in his studio's ability to animate real characters and as a result his animators ability to portray the human form because up until that point it was a lot of mickey Minnie, animals they hadn't really done people Mm -hmm. and because of that, he also started to try to recruit animators who had more experience with that. And one of the people he hired was actually this guy named Myron Natwick. And he is best known for creating Betty Boop, which I think is hilarious because Betty Boop was like an animated sex symbol, which is kind of weird because yeah. Snow White, I mean, I see the Betty Boop resemblance with Snow White, the dark hair, the curls, yeah. the kind of pouty lips, the shape of her face, the kind the of round. heart shape. Yeah. Yeah. But like completely different character types, like their personalities are so dramatically different that it's just funny to know that that's kind of where her physical influence came from. But him taking this seriously, Disney being him, Disney taking this seriously and hiring people that he knew had more experience with this really showed that he was 100% committed to going into this more, quote unquote, realistic animated representation of men and women. Um, And this guy, Natwick, was seen as the master at the time. So Disney was clearly not too proud to get people who knew more than he did about this type of animation to come on board Mm -hmm. for the project. He cared that much about it that he's like, I don't know the most about this. So let me get Natwick in here to teach my guys a little something about that. Yeah. And I mean, Mm -hmm. hand in hand with that, um, you know, on the artistic side, they also realized that on the story side, a big reason along with the fact that he had seen 
um, Snow White uh, for him to make it was what the dwarves brought to the story and how he could use <laughs> gags and such with them. They yeah. realized pretty quickly uh, that they didn't have the character development and the story around it. That was something when they're making a feature, they're like, oh, we can't just do gags and songs. Like we need something else. We need a little bit more oomph behind it and the story and the mm -hmm. characters. Um, so that's kind of when the like story department originated. It's something mm -hmm. that's still a big part of uh, Disney animation and a lot of animation studios today. Right. How many times mm -hmm. have we talked about where it's like DreamWorks animation is stunning, but their story department has just never had the same compelling stories to tell. Well, Disney, Disney the takes same... the time. They take the time in mm. the beginning, especially now. It's something that they've, you know, they've strayed from at times and then they've come back to realizing right. how important it is. So they take the time to make sure that they get the story right in the beginning. And it often yeah. takes years to get there. Um, well, and with Snow White, within the first five minutes, we know exactly who the evil queen is and we know exactly mm -hmm. who Snow White is. Like we know yeah. that Snow White is this sweet, soft kind of, you know, nurturing, helpful person. And that conversation she has with the baby bird where she's like, where are your parents? Like be free, bye-bye now. Yeah. And then you have the evil queen who's like evil, obviously powerful, yeah. controlling, super vain. And her conversation with the huntsman is kind of like the complete opposite. So they- yeah. Like you said, they spent a lot of time, obviously, working on how to establish both the story and the characters within that story so that everything was yes. believable. Fleshing that yeah. out. Um, mm -hmm. I want to quickly talk about someone that he brought on pretty early on. Her name was Dorothy Ann Blank, I'm going to say. Um, I mean, so yeah, it looks, looks like blank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so he, he brought her on to kind of represent the women's angle to the story because as they were making it, they, they felt like it was something that was lacking and she mm -hmm. kind of became what was the story research department, which as we were okay. saying, is still like a huge part of Disney animation studios today. So I think, you know, she's not an, a well-known name, but somebody that definitely, uh, helped like build what that is, which is really cool. Right. And it um, seems ironic that they would bring on a woman, right? Like based on yeah. some of the other stuff going on at the time. Some of the other stuff at the time, basically the only jobs they would hire women for were ink and paint and uh, like administrative secretary work. So um, there's a lot of pe uh, people that have like released, especially lately, um, <laughs> actual like documents that they have from Disney saying we won't consider you for an animation role because you're a woman. Right. And I can you just sorry, can you just uh clarify for me what ink and paint means? Like when you describe someone oh, yes. as working for ink and paint, what that is? Yeah. So um in the 2D animation process, you kind of goes through a different string and it starts with animation, getting the animation cleaned up. And then after that, eventually goes to the ink and paint department who are adding the color. And it's, at this point, it was coloring the, the cells um, with, okay. like, with actual paint. So they were painting the cells um, before they were right. went to the camera department. And so would that it's, kind of be like paint by numbers almost? Like in, terms of, an, in terms of a quote unquote required skill, would it yeah. be lower? Okay. Definitely lower. I mean, a lot of creative work goes into picking the color palettes and um, a lot of the like initial groundwork, but then you get to the point where you're, you paint each frame. So it's like right. literally like you're painting almost the same thing, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. So mm -hmm. it, it gets a little bit repetitive in the work. Um, I know there were a lot of women involved in the, the color paletting and like figuring out inventive ways of how to do it. Um, but in terms of animating and cleanup animating, that was all considered a man's role at the time, which mm -hmm. is really unfortunate because they, uh, they were growing like crazy. They were adding on people and they were just not even looking at, you know, experienced women and right. You know, that were more than capable for those roles. Well, and it sounds like I read somewhere that they had this huge like national recruitment campaign where they mm -hmm. were trying, like they were intentionally looking for artists, but yeah, any woman that applied, they're like, oh, sorry, you're a woman. No, no thank you. Yeah. We're not actually looking like you are not someone we're looking for, which is just yeah. wild to think about now. 
Like it's, it just it's feels too bad. And I, I have to like applaud people in, in leadership, especially over, you know, the past couple of years with where they've taken the company and the changes and steps that they've made. Um, mm-hmm. Jennifer Lee has of course been a huge inspiration, um, to a lot of women in the industry, uh, being one of the first female directors and directing frozen and now oh, just being frozen. the, yeah, it's <laughs> for another day, Sorry, you know me, um, and frozen, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, now being the head of the, the animation studio creatively herself, which is really amazing. But amazing. I mean, we've come, we've come a long way in the almost a hundred years. Um, but, uh, yeah, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. It started, it started in some rough water. So. Pre- pretty rough. Yeah. 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 And I mean, we can't talk about Snow White without talking about that voice. Like, do you like her voice? No, no. No, Right. Like it's, it's very distinct. I mean, I will give her that like in a lineup, if it was like, close your eyes, have her sing, you'd be (laughs) able to pick her out. But I mean, even in my time working at Disney world as a character Mm -hmm. performer, you hear things on the street word on the main street is, um, girls who were cast as friends of Snow White mm-hmm. said that they also were expected to speak in a higher register because she's her voice is that distinctive. And I mean, it's it's the type of voice that everyone can imitate poorly, but it's very yeah. hard to imitate well. And I mean, the reality is if you're talking up here, everyone knows who you're supposed to be. But it's like the girl they cast, Adriana Casalotti, mm-hmm. she is, I don't think there's anyone who has a voice anywhere similar to hers. And no. They had they had over 150 girls audition for this. Walt had a very specific That's idea of crazy. what he wanted. It is crazy, right? Like that seems so high um, for yeah. an animated feature that they didn't know. Like, I mean, Walt would claim that he knew it would succeed, but let's be real. It was the first of its kind. They're putting a lot of man hours into simply finding a girl to do this. And Walt had this very specific idea in his head of like, it has to sound exactly like this. And he cared so much about this casting. He understood the importance of her voice so much that he was sitting beside the soundstage with a speaker in his office. Like, so whenever anyone came into audition, he was just listening. And of course the people auditioning didn't know that, which sounds so creepy. Like, it is a little bit creepy. Hiding like, in the bushes. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's a bit much, honestly. Maybe he just didn't um, want them to be nervous. You know, I don't know. Do you really think Walt would care about that? Like, do you really think Mr. Disney sitting there going, I don't want those girls to be nervous. He'd be, he would rather them be nervous. I feel like he's like, you better perform under pressure. Like, here we go. Um, Eventually, like I said, Adriana Casalotti got the role and she was the daughter of a vocal coach, which to me, it's not a surprise that the girl he ended up casting had that sort of access to someone who could help coach her to, because I mean, her voice is so clear it's so yep. high and it it's not our cup of tea but it is impressive the control she has over her voice is wild because anyone who tries to sing that i feel so like hard. they walt had a type in voices because <laughs> like cinderella's kind of got like a similar like i don't know maybe it was more the time period that was yeah you know a more like desirable voice i suppose but maybe yeah that it doesn't I'm, hold up yeah I'm wondering if maybe a lot of it just has to do with her voice is so high that it's impossible to think of her as being a villain of any kind. Like, I feel like Mm, if you put, right, like if you put the evil queen's face with that voice, it wouldn't work. If you put the evil queen's um, voice with Snow White's face, it wouldn't work. I I think it was a deliberate, like we've been talking about, like the storytelling aspects of this film, Walt knew that everything had to be perfect if people were going to stay engaged and understand what was happening for that length of time. So while she's not everyone's cup of tea, she definitely did the job of yep. establishing who Snow White is. And like, I mean, when you com- when you combine that with that rounder, softer animation style for like humans and how she interacts with the animals and how she exists in her environment and how she moves, like it does, it does all go together. And maybe I'm sense. just saying that because we've seen it and now that's yeah. how we think of Snow White, but it, it worked. Clearly it yeah. worked because no one can picture Snow White now as anything else, right? No. No, it's so, true. I mean, wild. Yeah. And also like the the characters that they have as princesses these days have a lot more like sass and kick to them. So that's kind of yes. emulated in the voice. Whereas your Snow yes. Whites and Cinderella's are very pure and like- They're more demure. You yeah. Know? They're, yeah. 
they're almost foils for the villains because I mean, Mm -hmm. in these first three, without spending too much time on other movies that we will be talking about as well, but Lady Tremaine, Maleficent and the evil queen really are arguably more fleshed out characters than the protagonists in those films, especially Sleeping Beauty. I don't want to get upset about it right now, but she is the most boring character to ever be a lead. Like I just, I don't, I don't understand her. So um, all that to say, (laughs) It's uh yes, it was kind of like a keeping a voice that's higher, sweeter, you know, more childlike makes sense for these early female protagonists who are more of a prop than anything else. And I bet he knew what he wanted and he heard it and he was like, Mm -hmm. Yeah. He probably like busted out of his office, ran into the sound (laughs) stage, scared the pants. Yelling and screaming. Yeah. 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 Well, because I mean her voice then kind of works like because it's so high and so odd, it blends with everybody's because it's just the same. Do you know what I mean? So like all the dwarves, the dwarves are more fleshed out characters than Snow White is, which I think is genius. Like they're all, they, they are given the most attention, I would argue in terms of like the crafting their dialogue and everything. And her voice just perfectly kind of lays on top of everything that they're doing to let them really shine and highlight the differences between those seven. So Agreed. Agreed. Um, good just job, Adriana. Get, yeah, good job. Nailed it. Yeah, I want to get a, a little bit into just like the production of this movie because it did go on for almost five years, kind of start to finish. Um, and but there- sorry, you're in you're in the film industry. Just tell me, tell me yes. real quick. Is that a long time for a movie by today's standards? Like, I just I don't actually have the context for that. Um, I mean, not including story for a Disney animated film like they'll work on something like they'll start writing the script they'll get approved and it yeah the release date about five years so it it kind of checks out just okay if, as long as you like encompass all the time for the story in that span most yeah. of them are only in like full-fledged production for about two years when you put it in context of what they were making before though this would be so significantly longer than putting oh together yes a silly absolutely symphony, right so, okay because like and it's not what they were planning for. So like time and budget at this point is like way off the mark of what they were expecting just because gotcha. they had never, never done it before and how involved it was. Cause it's not even as easy as like putting together like a bunch of little shorts. Like even if you right. just try to balance out the time, there's just so much more that goes into it with it all being a cohesive unit. So mm-hmm. they actually ended up ramping up to over a thousand people for 10 months that was like considered the like full-fledged production. So Whoa. that's the part that's a little bit crazy because that would normally be um, at least a two-year span on like um, animation today. Um, really? But to, okay. to do that in 10 months, but a thousand people is, is crazy. Um, yeah. So it had like kind of a long ramp up and then very like limited time to actually get the movie made. So it mm-hmm. meant a lot of overtime for the animators, the ink and painters, the camera department, especially. Um, I wanted to quick tell you about the multiplane camera. Do you know what I've heard this about is? this? Yeah, I had that one animation course in university that made me really feel like I knew something and I read a book oh, cool. on it and I've probably yeah. forgotten everything. So please refresh my memory. Essentially, they it didn't exist before this movie. It was something that they invented for it. Um, and for cameras for for animated films, you got to think of it as like the the cell is like on the table and the camera's right. facing down. So essentially, okay. what they made for this is they made something with a bunch of layers on it. So there's like a oh. bunch of levels. So you could put different things on different like slots. And that would give you, give you the depth of field. Yes. Okay. Okay. Cause they, they use this a lot in Bambi, right? Like Bambi, it was a big deal. And they had a short called the old mill. This is all coming back to me now. Hashtag Celine Dion. It's coming back. Okay. (laughs) Gotcha. A good, a good example. When I was watching it this time, when I was like, oh, you can really see how this works is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the shot from like inside the well where it's looking up at Snow White. Yeah. So you can really see like the water and like the distance. And it's actually gotcha. really pretty. So if you didn't have this multi-plane camera, it would all kind of be on one layer and it wouldn't okay. give you as much depth. It looked like her, yeah. her face smushed up against a window type situation. Exactly. Yes. That, okay. Yes. Okay. That's so so cool. that, that to me, that's partially, I think why I liked that scene is that shot was just so mm. beautiful when I saw it. I was like, oh wow. Like the way that they did that with like the rippling water. 
Isn't um, it funny how really like pretty. when people talk about this film, they really brush over this, the camera. Yeah. Like I feel like most people who talk about it as being a triumph, they focus a lot mm -hmm. on the story, which makes sense. That was, yeah. it, is a, it is a huge deal, but this is a huge technological achievement. Like, oh, it's massive, it's no, yeah. It's no small thing. And people are just yeah. like, oh yeah, that too. Yeah. Like, who are these people? Like, wh how privileged are you with your multi-playing yeah. cameras? Like, yeah. Oh my god. I mean, it's all important. I think, I think that's the thing about this movie and why it was such a big breakthrough is because like everything kind of worked together, the technology mm. aspects, the character aspects, um, and just like kind of changing what animation could be for forever and mm -hmm. ever. Um, yeah the the characters is a big one too we kind of touched on it a little bit but like providing the personality and how mm -hmm. that changed the story i think um the dwarves is very interesting the fact that you just gave them a name that was their personality encompassed and then yeah went with that and i think that probably made it like they come off very they're very strong, like how they're animated, um, their oh, character choices. And I think a lot of that is because there's such a clear direction because their character was defined by just a name. Um, and so they, they, they came up with the names, right? Like Disney came up with, I believe like they so. had a whole like big I think, list of names. Yeah. And, um, I think they had, yeah, they definitely had different names in the Grimm's Tale. I'm not actually sure what those were, but I think it was like <laughs> genius, just the fact that they, because it doesn't really take away from the story, it adds to it because it's just so simple. And you, Snow White can look right. at them. She looks at mm -hmm. them and she knows what their names are. And then you can use everything else to support that. So you're using, you know, the animation to support that, the color to support that, their, their gestures and everything and their personality. Right. Um, and actually it's interesting, like, like you said, the dwarves are really well fleshed out and they really are the stars in my opinion mm -hmm. of this film. Yeah. And from everything that I think we both learned on our own and together, like the dwarves is what made the project fun for everyone. Like they were really the yes. heart and soul of like, yeah, sure. Snow White's the titular character, mm -hmm. but it was the dwarves that got the most emphasis. And what I thought was interesting watching this again, is I realized that this is like dopey was the first sidekick you know how like mm -hmm. disney movies always have sidekicks yeah. um and you know he he provided the comic relief which is very classic with a sidekick and also mm -hmm. in a this is kind of this is kind of sad and dark but typically the sidekicks are characters who are seen as somehow inferior to the protagonist as well so often in princess movies it's an animal so you know animals are not humans they're not as smart typically they are not as capable in Do in dopey's case he's just he's dopey he's kind of dumb dopey yeah yeah so but so you love he's him. kind of you do and you always yeah. love the sidekick but i thought mm -hmm. that that was really interesting and the other two um, you were saying that everything is kind of intentional and like every element was used to like build character and stuff. Two of the things I also observed, which I had never noticed before, was how the animals and the huntsmen are used in relation to the audience. So like, you know, the scene at the beginning, close to the beginning where the huntsman's supposed to kill Snow White. Yeah. And can't do it and he starts yelling like run princess run as i was sitting here i was like man in my head i'm yelling at her run get out of here so the huntsman almost became like a personification of the audience which i thought was fascinating and then the animals that follow her around have you ever seen a greek tragedy like a greek play or like mm. red one yes no yes. Okay. So you know that idea of like the chorus or even the muses and Hercules, right? Where they kind of narrate the story and like follow around the main characters. You see that happening in this film too, With the which animals. I also, yeah, like yeah. they're, they become co-conspirators with snow white where they're kind of you know they're agreeing with her they're communicating with the audience through their facial expressions about how they feel about the situations happening and when the birds start messing with the dwarves when they think that she's a monster like all those types of things i thought that was also well, even when when the witch shows up and then they yes. like no because you know as the audience you're like um this woman is trouble like even if we didn't have the mm -hmm. context we could tell yes. by looking at her don't talk to yes. this lady um, exactly. And then, yeah. And then the birds, the animals get involved and they go and try and get the dwarves mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. Yeah. So they almost work to break down that fourth wall, which I think yeah. is a really interesting use of character and prop because they're kind of, they're characters, they're the environment, they're objects, like they're kind of everything all at once, which I thought was just 
oh, it's something I had never really noticed before until mm-hmm. I was like intentionally looking for why is this film great and why should it be more than a five? You yeah. know, it's so maybe also interesting how it's it flows, even though the animation of the animals doesn't quite it seems like it shouldn't fit with how the dwarves are animated because they're like animated, not realistically, but Snow White is and the animals mm. are. So it's like almost an interesting like juxtaposition that somehow works. In yes. The world. Well, and like, I also think like the animals almost become that bridge between the real world and the animated worlds um, for yeah. the reason you're saying they tried to make them realistic. Obviously they pretty much failed because by the time Bambi came out, they really had figured it out like what to do because the animals are so soft and squidgy looking like mm-hmm. they're all very like, they look like beanie babies, all of them. Yeah. Um, but the dwarves definitely have way more detail in their faces, in their clothing, in their shapes. Like they all have unique. Well, even if you look at the like coloring, that. it's like the animals yes. almost kind of fit in with the background a little bit. Whereas like the, the coloring blending. of Snow White, of the prince, of the queen and mm-hmm. the dwarves, they were all kind of meant to stand out against like yes. what is generally like kind of a brown backdrop. Throughout <laughs> it's a little drab. Yeah, yeah it's. <laughs> But I mean, again, these are all things like not even, they're not even tricks. It's just all visual strategies that they adopted because they knew you have to make these things obvious for your audience. How else are the, is the audience supposed to stay interested for mm-hmm. that long? Yeah, That visual dynamism already just kind of keeps you hooked, keeps your eye moving around the screen, following the characters. Like it's truly genius. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you talked about this a little bit too, but I mean, you can see that influence of the real world in this film differently than you can in the Merry Melodies. And I think that the multiplane camera is huge for that yeah. because animators were finally able to look out their window and go, oh, that like beautiful scene with the trees and the leaves changing color and all that. Like I can do that now. Like I could could get that depth of field. And they, they mixed both. And that's something that has like, that's, a characteristic that stayed with Disney where you have the like realistic looking people and then you have the like oddly shaped character you know yes. and I don't like when you think about it it like shouldn't work side by but it side does. but it does yeah yeah I'm thinking even like brave Merida's proportions mm-hmm. are so weird like now that you say that out yeah. loud I'm like her head is so round her neck is so tiny like but it works because yeah. the background is hyper realistic the trees even like her horse Mm-hmm. looks like a real horse is proportioned yeah. properly and she's just that little bit odd yeah that it kind or of like it works. there's always like the the dad who's like oddly short and like round that's like you know shapes that people aren't actually are right contradicting with like someone who actually you know is a normal human size so mm-hmm. i don't know yeah it's interesting it is Tell yeah me, talk to me about the music a little bit what are your thoughts okay. on on the songs in this movie i mean we already discussed how weird Adriana Carlotti's voice is. We already know that that's kind of weird, but it's interesting. Not, it's not interesting. Why do I keep using that word? It makes sense to me that both you and I picked vignettes that were songs because I mean, clearly this film was really where Disney established songs and music as a storytelling device. And he had already been doing that with silly symphonies. That's kind of where the idea for this whole thing came from, but I actually learned that the plans for songs were evident in the earliest manuscripts for this film. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, if if it took five years, if you're saying it took five years for him to make it, even before Walt brought this to the table with like, here's the idea for the film, he already knew he wanted songs. Like he already knew that that was going to be a thing. And uh, one of the most interesting things I learned about the songs in this movie, which I'd never known, was that they actually combined what you would call legitimate and illegitimate instruments together. And that's one of the things I noticed about the sound, like um, sound effects in this film. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? Like in the the scene where the dwarves are playing and singing a song, like with Snow White in their house, like all those different sound effects with the real instrument sounds, you know, they're clapping their hands, Grumpy's like slamming those organ things shut. So you get Mm -hmm. all the clicking and the clacking. Yeah. It made for a really rich sound atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Like if you're listening to it with really great headphones on, it really, like you can hear all these individual sound elements that come together to create a real sweeping soundscape and it was the first soundtrack album ever made too actually oh really and if you can yeah and if you can believe it it reached 
the top 10 on the billboard charts. Can you imagine now a movie soundtrack wow. reaching the top 10? I mean, I'm sure Hamilton did. Everyone's obsessed. I know it's come up twice now. I've never <laughs> seen it. My roommate's obsessed with it. Um, yeah. Tells me how good it is. So, I mean, I, I can imagine something like that reaching the top 10, but like, even if I'm thinking about Tarzan, okay, our boy, Phil Collins, great at writing songs, fantastic soundtrack, top 10 though. Like, I don't know. That maybe. seems, I mean, maybe actually Phil, maybe if we were to look this up, there's going to be someone now who's looking it up. Alex is going to look it up and be like, I'm telling you he was top 10. Um, but you know, the music, the music in this film has always made an impact on me. Like I said, I had that video cassette growing up and then you will recall when we lived together in university, I made that project on music. And I mean, where I basically took the first three princess films and animated uh, visually when songs were playing throughout the films. And there's so much music, like within the first three minutes, we're singing a song. Yeah. So right off the bat, Walt was like, music is important. Like the music yeah. is going to be the driving factor. And that is another one of those things that for decades now has separated Disney from other studios doing animation Absolutely. because yeah. it's part of their story process. And I mean, you and I are both obsessed with that frozen two making of docuseries on Disney plus. And what, what do they spend most of the time talking about? The music, how the music, music told yep. the story, how it yeah. impacted the direction the film took, how, how the characters acted. Like, I think, I think that's such an incredible legacy from this film because it really does define the Disney experience. Even like, think about how important music is in the parks, right? Like Disney oh, yeah. music is what brings you into the experience. Mm -hmm. The fireworks yeah. shows, walking down Main Street, changing from the different locations, the restaurants, the hotels, everything. Music is everything. And it just, I don't know, it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. I get emotional talking about Disney mm -hmm. music. It just really is so transportive and they did such a good job. Even if it's not your cup of tea, again, already established, yeah. not everyone's cup of tea. But it is very transportive, which I think is a job well done, really. Like, Absolutely. If nothing Setting else, you have to applaud and, it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Music as a character is just such a genius way to bring people into an experience that they weren't expecting, didn't know how it would go. You know, it can do so much to help you tell a story. I also think it's really interesting that some of the key things that we've talked about throughout this podcast with like music and the emphasis on story and character development, there's such mm -hmm. fundamentals of the Disney culture. And yes. there's absolutely been times where they've kind of strayed from these like essential things and it, mm -hmm. it tends to not go well. And then they, yes. you know, then they come back to the roots and like, this is where Disney started. This is what defines it. This were mm -hmm. the key, the key ingredients to their success. And every time they kind of find their way back, it's, it's been pretty magical. Um, yeah. I think just I like the focus on story, the emphasis on music kind of moving away from animation, just being about gags and silly, like it's not just a one-dimensional entertainment it's yes got the humor it's got the story walt wanted people to cry when snow white died they wanted people to have an emotional attachment to her mm -hmm. and i feel like what he set out to do they were so successful on and it was a huge undertaking at the time they had to develop new technology they had to yep. kind of change the way that they worked but i think it's just like it's amazing when you kind of dissect what they were up against and what they had to do with the time and budget mm -hmm. that they had, like amazing. I mean, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that you're giving this film higher than a six out of 10. I, I, I think, don't know. you know, after we're talking about it, like it, you know, you can't, you can't not appreciate starting from nothing and then building this. I mean, if Drake yeah. taught me anything, it's that you can start at the bottom and now be here. So, I mean, I think Snow White really is. Yeah. <laughs> Snow White is the Drake of yeah. <laughs> the Drake of Disney. Exactly. Uh, but she actually started at the bottom, not like in Richmond Hill or wherever he started. No, which is no, quite like the actually the bottom. Like, so, yeah, you know what? I think no shade think, to Drake. No shade. <laughs> I think that I can I can give her a seven. I think. We'll okay. I'll, yeah. I'll bring her up to a six. I mean, let's be real. The yeah. film, the history of the film, I give that a 10 out of 10. Fascinating. Yeah. Wouldn't be where we are, are without it. We, as if we already worked there. <laughs> we will one day. We're not there yet, but like, we're going to be there. Um, 
Disney wouldn't be where it is without her. So I give her a 10 out of 10 for just like yeah. being there. Thanks for coming out type situation. But in terms of my enjoyment, I'll, I will only give it a six. I can't, I can't budge from that. That's fair. Like it's not a movie that I want to watch all the time, but it is a movie that I'm happy to like talk about and read about and learn about because that mm-hmm. was just like a pleasure kind of diving into what actually oh, yeah. happened behind the scenes there. So, mm-hmm. well, yeah. and like I said earlier, like, not on the podcast so people can't clock me for this because no i did not say it earlier in this conversation but in another conversation you know what you're getting for christmas it's gonna be that book that's all about snow white now that i know you're so passionate about this yeah that seems like a slam dunk you know have it ordered to your house just Amazing. keep your eye open for it it's gonna come merry christmas yeah, yeah. <laughs> merry christmas yeah. happy hanukkah everything else all in one yeah. Well, I can't, I can't wait to learn more about someone else. I mean, I feel like now that we've done this, this deep dive, mm-hmm. we got to keep it going. We're going obviously. to. Yeah. We I think we to. just, we, can't we, we go in order because it makes sense. So yeah. And you know yeah. what? It's what the people would expect. And sometimes yes. you want to give the people what they want. Yeah. You know? So Absolutely. I guess that means Cinderella's next day. Eh? Cinderella will be next. I'm excited oh. for that one because while this one, I pretty much have never watched that one I have Mm. watched to death so I have a lot more I have a lot of initial thoughts so I'm excited for that as a as a lovely cliffhanger then let's let's leave the people with our initial rating of Cinderella just to wet the whistle what would you give if Snow White is a seven out of ten for you what is Cindy I think Cinderella is like an 8.5 I was about to like, say, I'm going big. She's a nine. Yeah, She's a nine yeah. out of 10 for me. It's yep. like, that is a good movie. I think it, we won't, <laughs> we won't get into it anymore. I don't want to, because... I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. But we need yeah, content, I'm excited to talk content, about that one. But... Yeah. Yeah. For All sure. Right. Well, a dream is well, a wish your heart makes indeed. We'll see people on the other side. Okay, so I've had a few minutes to digest this now, and I apologize, but I have to take something back because I really just, it's not a seven for me. I still really appreciate everything that went into it and everything that we learned, but in terms of rewatchability and how much I enjoyed this movie, I think it's it's a solid six, and I think that's that's where it stands. I'm sorry, I hope you, you didn't buy me that book for Christmas but uh, I did not buy you the book for Christmas. So thank you for catching me before I did. However, I also must apologize for a grievous overstatement on my part. I got a little overexcited talking about the soundtrack and made the bold claim that it was the only soundtrack to make it into the top 10 on the Billboard chart. A quick Google search would reveal that that is of course a big lie. And I would like to apologize to everyone who was quick to clock me on it. You were correct to do so. I regret everything. I will be better in the future. I promise. And with that, uh, we just want to um, leave you guys with a few sources that we used. Uh, We could not have put this together um, without the help of these really awesome books. The first one being Ink and Paint, The Women of Walt Disney's Animation by Mindy Johnson which is a book that you actually bought me for Christmas. So thank you. That was a winner. Clearly I have good ideas about (laughs) books to give you. This is a pattern. The next is Mark Davis, Walt Disney's Renaissance Man by the Disney Book Group. How do I, how do I join that group? Exactly. I, if it, is it like Reese's Book Club? I want in as well. Yes. We'll write some letters. We'll get involved. Third, The Art of Walt Disney by Christopher Finch. And last but definitely not least, Before Ever After, The Lost Lectures of Walt Disney's Animation Studio by Don Hahn and Tracy Miller-Zarnick.